Hello, everyone, and welcome to Week 13 Stat Chasing. It is good to be back after a week off. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving, great Thanksgiving slate, great main slate, and are headed to the playoffs, which are either right around the corner or are starting this week and hope to get you all ready for what is to come over the next several weeks. If you are joining for the first time, welcome. My name is Sam Hoppin. I am your host for the show. If you, again, if you haven't watched before, this is where I'll be going through some of the key stats that I think are most important for laying a foundation for my research, trying to understand what happened this past week, what's happened the past couple weeks, and help you make better fantasy football decisions. We've got uh, Crosby in the room here with me today, going to celebrate another week in the NFL. But before we get into the details, want to talk through the stats that I'll be using on the show today. Give credit where credit is due from PFF. I have the routes data that's pretty much any stat that I give with a route-specific metric. That's targets per out run, uh, weighted targets per out run, things like that. Also use their expected fantasy points, which is a model built that weights opportunity by the line of scrimmage. And I use this primarily as a measure of usage for players, trying to understand which players are getting the most valuable opportunities in their offense. From the NFL play-by-play data, NFL fast R, I get air yards, which is the distance the ball traveled in the air before it got to a receiver, whether it's a catch or not. Have weighted opportunity rating, Whopper, which is a metric that Josh Hermsmeyer created, which weights air yard share and target share. Also have racer, which is receiver air conversion ratio. That's receiving yards divided by air yards. And then pacer on the flip side is passing air conversion ratio. That's passing uh, passing air yards divided by actual yards. And both of those are intended to show efficiency for the receiver and on the flip side, the quarterback. Also have quarterback adjusted yards per attempt, which is yards per attempt, but weights it with interceptions and touchdowns. Have pass rate over expectation, which is from the NFL faster model. It determines the likelihood that a play is a drop back. And then I take the rate in the games, uh, the difference between their actual pass rate and their expected pass rate. And that gives you the pass rate over expectation. Similarly, have CPOE, which is completion percentage over expectation. That shows a quarterback's uh, completion percentage over expectation, uh, his actual completion percentage minus the expected completion percentage. And then a couple of stats popularized by Mr. Ben Gretsch, weighted targets per route run. This weights air yards and routes run with a scalar included primarily use this for wide receivers to get an understanding of their sort of archetype and the role that they're playing. And then also have high value touches, which is a running back specific metric that is any reception and then carries inside the 10 yard line. I'll also refer to green zone touches, which is any touch catch, uh, which is could be a catch or a rush 
inside the opponent's 10-yard line. So I'm going to be going through these stats position by position so I can compare against the other players in the position, help you make your start, sit, waiver, and trade decisions in your league. And then I'll go more in-depth through a couple of team-specific situations. Uh, a reminder to subscribe to the YouTube channel, become a member for just $5 to get live access to the show, access to the Discord and a bunch of other benefits. And one final shout out to at Change College on Twitter, who has continuing has been continuing to add the timestamps on YouTube so you can skip to different team or position conversations that you might want to listen to that are more interesting to you than the others. So I'm going to be showing some charts here. I'm going to pull up the quarterback one right now. So hopefully you're you're watching on the YouTube to get the visualization ex enhanced experience. And again, starting off with quarterbacks here on the x-axis of this chart have adjusted yards per attempt on the y-axis have touchdown rate and then as the size of the bubble is a quarterback's rushing yards per game and primarily looking for efficiency here because that's typically what drives fantasy football performance for the quarterback position it, volume is not necessarily something that is going to help the quarterback position um and, and one player that hasn't had a ton of volume, but has had extreme efficiency over the last six weeks is Mac Jones, who has led the Patriots to six straight wins. They now lead the AFC East. They have a big Monday night football matchup this upcoming week against the Bills in week 13 will be one of the tougher defenses that he's played. But since the start of their winning streak, which started in Week seven, this is how he ranks. They have a negative 4% pass rate over expectation. So again, not passing quite as much as expected. But he has the fifth highest completion percentage over expectation at 3.4%. And he also has the highest EPA per play. So that's expected points added per play among quarterbacks, which is phenomenal, especially for a rookie. He's thrown nine touchdowns to just two interceptions, has a 5.3% touchdown rate, 8.6 adjusted yards per attempt. He does have an 1.11 pacer, so he's getting a bit of help from his receivers in their yards after the catch and is throwing just under 230 passing yards per game. You can see here that he's, I mean, he's on this chart. He's right next to Aaron Rodgers and other greats like Andy Dalton, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, it's funny to see those names up there, given some of the performances that they've had recently. He is only averaging 15 fantasy points per game, so I don't think that he's quite a QB1 or, or someone that you would want to consider starting in a normal league going forward, but someone to certainly keep on your radar if in the future you know in, in years to come they get some more offensive firepower and offensive weapons then he could be set up to be a regular 
fantasy star. Uh, speaking of hot AFC teams, and I'm, I'm flipping the chart here because this next quarterback is, is the only other quarterback I'm going to discuss today, but Tua Tagovailoa has led the Dolphins to four straight wins, at least three of those four. He was out the first game of that win streak and then came in in relief of Jacoby Brissett in the game against the Ravens. So he's only actually started the last two games, but again, has played in the last three, has sort of two and a half games under his belt. And since week 10, those two and a half games, he has 11, an 11.7% completion percentage over expectation, which is just absurd, which is uh, second only to noted gunslinger Taylor Heineke. Uh, he does have 0.27 EPA per play, which is phenomenal. He does have a very shallow, shallow 5.2 yard average depth of target. And we'll be talking about Jalen Waddle for a second uh, later on in the show and, and how much that benefits him. But in his two starts overall, he is averaging 250 passing yards per game, has a 4.7% touchdown rate, three touchdowns, and just one interception. Again, is also averaging 15 points per game. Because of the shallow average depth of target, he has a 1.73 pacer. So his receivers are, on average, almost doubling the yardage of the air yard. So, you know, if you think about that, if he throws it five yards past the line of scrimmage, or ten, let's, let's use 10 yards, if he, if they're, if he throws it 10 yards past the line of scrimmage, they're on average running an extra seven yards or gaining an extra seven yards after the catch for him. So that's a lot of what his production is coming for from. He does have an 84% completion percentage. Again, that's due in part to the, the high CPOE and has an 8.1 adjusted yards per attempt. I forgot to check now that I'm thinking about it, what the how the Dolphins have fared in pass rate over expectation the past several weeks. I know for most of the season they have had a positive pass rate over expectation, and that has certainly benefited Tua and the receivers. You can see Tua this past week on the chart again, sort of right where we want to see him. And he's been doing this without. Devontae Parker and Will Fuller. I don't even know if Will Fuller is going to come back this season. Um, but he's been able to be good enough with just Parker and and Mike Gesicki. Uh, excuse me, just Waddle and Mike Gesicki. So really good from him. Um, I'm not going to touch on them this show. Maybe I will next week. But you see Russell Wilson here. From the game last night on Monday Night Football, he had about a 6.5% touchdown rate, 9.2 adjusted yards per attempt in that game. And it was that offense is just so tough to watch. So I Russell Wilson is not someone I'm really trusting in the lineup right now either. Again, despite what we've seen from him historically, because it's, it is painful to watch that offense. 
Okay, quick talk about the quarterbacks. So let's get into the running backs here on the x-axis have rushing expected fantasy points on the y-axis have receiving expected fantasy points and then as the size of the bubble fantasy points over expectations so that's fpo as i'll refer to it uh and th these are all per game numbers here looking at the last five games on the chart and the first team that I'm going to talk through are the Eagles running backs, the Eagles in, in their backfield. Uh, a an update: Miles Sanders did leave the game early this past week. There was a report yesterday saying that Nick Sirianni said Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders are quote heading in the right direction with their injuries. They'll know more on Wednesday. So unknown who will be able to start in the upcoming game. I believe they play the Jets this week, but in the past two games with Miles Sanders back after he left, uh, excuse me, after he was out for a couple of weeks, here, here's how things sort of played out. Um, him and Boston Scott have essentially split the time it's just between been between them um jordan howard missed last week kenny gainwell missed the week before so neither of them played more than 20 percent of snaps in their game so i think they're sort of the third tier of running back if you will and boston scott has six total high value touches over the past two weeks has at least two high value touches in each of the last six games so he's he's really been again one of the primary weapons in that offense has uh at least he has two green zone touches the past two weeks has uh just one rushing touchdown but i think had a receiving touchdown as well uh if i remember correctly um but again so boston scott has commanded 39 percent of the touches over the last two weeks weeks miles sanders only has 41 percent and again this is tricky because he left the game but it's it's not like he returned to a massive workload sanders snap share was at 46 percent in week 11 33 percent last week sanders did has averaged 9.3 expected points per games over the last two weeks but Boston Scott is getting a lot of the passing work. He has 43% uh, routes per dropback rate and is averaging 5.7 receiving expected points per game over the last two. So that's, that's good for a running back. That's about what we'd want to see for a workload. Um, as far as fantasy expected points, again, Scott had 21 expected fantasy points this past week and he's actually averaging negative four fpo per game the last two weeks so he certainly has some room to grow and it's worth noting you know obviously sanders has been banged up a little bit this season so his volume numbers are a little weird but he has yet to score a single touchdown this season now he's he's recorded 
five games with double digits expected fantasy points, but is not has not been able to convert on those and turn in a, a massive week from a fantasy football perspective. So assuming all four of these guys are healthy, Sanders, Scott, Howard, Gainwell, I think I, I would expect it be a 1A, 1B situation with Sanders and Scott. And Howard and Gainwell will be worked in ever so slightly. Uh, uh, slightly enough that it'll be painful for, for Scott and Sanders managers. Because, again, this is, it looks like it could be a four-headed backfield, which is not what we, we want in any sort of fantasy football situation. The last thing I'll mention, Scott and Sanders are both averaging about 13 opportunities per game in the last two weeks, which is solid. But again, they're not going to be able to have the ceilings that you would expect or hope without getting, you know, maybe 15 or 16 plus opportunities per game in that backfield. Uh, Boston Scott did have, again, the last, last thing I'll, I'll mention, Scott had a a 51% snap share in week 12, and that was the highest that it's been over the last four weeks. So sort of trending up for Scott, I think if if Sanders is out, if Sanders and Howard are both out, then Boston Scott is for sure a great play this upcoming week. But if not, then I'm probably avoiding that backfield where possible. Sorry, going to be taking a lot of drinking breaks today. A little bit of a scratchy throat. But anyway, I'll move on to the Bills running backs. They played on Thanksgiving, the evening Thanksgiving game. And for that game, Zach Moss was a healthy scratch. And Devin Singletary got the start. Matt Breida was worked in. As well, I I thought I had pulled up the the snap shares here, but I believe Singletary played about 70% of the snaps while Brita was at 30% in the game on Thanksgiving. Matt Brita did have uh, a receiving touchdown at the end of the game. Both Brita and Singletary did have double-digit opportunities. They had, uh, Brita had 11, Singletary had 16. Uh, Brita had three high-value touches to just two for Devin Singletary, but Devin Singletary did run a route on 64, 60, excuse me, 65% of routes in that game, which was his second highest rate of the season and highest since week one when he was at 67%. And if this is a two-headed backfield, then... I think either one of the guys is playable, but if all three of them are involved, then it's not very good. When all three were active in weeks 10 and 11, no back had more than eight opportunities in either game. Brita had six and seven, Singletary had eight and seven, Moss had seven and four. So it was very, very split up and 
you just couldn't rely on any of them. When it was Singletary and Moss for a good stretch of the season, they were both regularly getting double-digit opportunities. And, and, it, and in that offense, even though they do pass a ton, there's a lot of touchdown equity that they can have, excuse me, that makes them valuable and worth starting. But Zach Moss has sort of been treated a little bit differently since their week seven by in the last five games, in the last four games for him, his touch percentage backfield, uh, excuse me, percent of backfield touches, he's at 38%. He was at 50% in the five weeks before the bye. Now, Singletary has stayed about the same going from 52% before the bye to 50% after the bye, but Matt Breida has gone from 22% to 37% after the bye. So Singletary is, is like the one guy who they seem to consistently trust that I don't think they're ever going to give him a workhorse back, uh, role because Breida and Moss are both competent backs, but this is the second time this season that Moss was a healthy scratch and it could become a weekly thing. I, I think there were reports leading up to the Thanksgiving game talking about how the Bills wanted to get Breida more involved because he is an explosive back. And I, I agree with that. Breida has been one of my favorite guys to watch in fantasy football the last several years because of his explosiveness. But the one thing I, I wouldn't, I would be more keen to hold on to Singletary and trust his volume because, again, he's getting the higher snap share. And Brita actually is averaging 6.3 fantasy points over expectation per game in the last three games. So could potentially be due for some regression, especially with the lower snap share that he's getting. I think the other thing, the last thing that's worth noting, excuse me, here with the Bills is, again, Singletary is averaging three high-value touches per game in the last five. Matt Breida, 2.7. Zach Moss is averaging three high-value touches in his four games. But previous to the bye, again, Matt Breida had only played in one game but he didn't have any high value touches. So he's taking some of those away, obviously from the other two backs. So this, it, I think we we hope that again, this remains a two headed backfield. What maybe we don't want to be a two headed backfield is in Washington. And unfortunately, JD McKissick went down. I think he hit his head against another player's knee in the game last night, but his agent tweeted today that he's all good. So that's good to hear for his health. But Antonio Gibson in the game last night set career highs in snaps at 67%, had 29 carries, seven catches, and 36 touches. Again, all of those are career high marks for Antonio Gibson in a game over the last three games since 
the Washington football team's bye, he is averaging 27, 27 opportunities per game, nearly seven, 6.7 high value touches per game. And here's the big thing. He's averaging, where'd my number go? 3.7 green zone touches per game. Before last night, it had been six games that J.D. McKissick had gone without a green zone touch. And I think, I mean, obviously Gibson managers were tilting last night because the couple that he got, that McKissick got last night, he ran in for a touchdown. And it was not fun to see. But Gibson is getting these red zone opportunities, which is huge. And that's just as valuable, if not more valuable, than the receiving work. And his receiving work stayed about the same. He's at a 31% route rate the last three weeks, has three, is averaging three targets per game, three catches per game. So that, that really hasn't changed much. His percent of uh, receptions out of the backfield has gone up to 47% from 33% before the buy, but his total touch percent has gone up to 68%, up from 60% before the buy. So, I mean, he's getting, he's averaging 0.28 targets per out run, which is phenomenal. I mean, the guy's averaging 21.3 expected points per game over the last three and has negative four fantasy points over expectation. So he could be doing even more. I'm very bullish on Antonio Gibson for the rest of the season. Antonio Gibson was second on the week among running backs with 11 high value touches. Again, you're obviously bummed that Gibson didn't get into the end zone last night. Or, or I guess that McKissick score stole some opportunities there, but again, things have been trending down for Gibson. They're trending all the way back up right now. Uh, another backfield that's kind of trending down, eh, maybe trending up. The Titans backfield wanted to revisit this. I think I talked about this before I took my personal buy. And Deontay Foreman and Adrian Peterson were sort of battling for that number one role. Now it's down to, it looks like Dontrell Hilliard and Deonta Foreman. Some, someone named Tory Carter saw 32% of snaps. I'm not totally concerned about him, but Hilliard in the last two games has run around on over 55% of dropbacks in each of the last two games, has had 20 expected fantasy points in week 11, had 10 expected fantasy points in week 12, had a very long run, has averaged five high value touches the last two games, and has at least 14 opportunities in the last two games. So he's come on very strong, has above a 50% snap share the last two weeks, and is just sort of fitting in, I think, really, really well Jeremy McNichols has missed the last two games, or Adrian Peterson didn't play this last week. 
either. So I think Dr. Hilliard is the guy right now. He's commanded 69% of the receiving work in the two games that he's played. has a 17% target share, which is really good for a running back. And that passing attack does not have many other options. So if the Titans do lean on him as the pass catching back, if I don't, I actually don't know what uh, McNichols status is right now. And if he's going to be back anytime soon, but Hilliard could be in for a big role down the stretch here. If they think they found something with him, um, Deontay Foreman did have five high value touches this past week along with 20 total opportunities. So it's probably still between those two guys played a 49% snap share, which was his highest of the season and had, has had three green zone touches the last two weeks compared to just two for Hilliard. So really just Hilliard and Foreman are the only two that I want to hold on to right now and have investments in for the Titans backfield. A couple of final nuggets, and I'm, I'm pulling these from a couple of quick shout-outs to John Daigle, Adam Levitan, uh, Ben Gretsch. I'm getting, the, uh, getting some of these stats from them as well. But Elijah Mitchell had a broken finger and then ended up playing this past week and played 70% of snaps. Had a 91% share of the backfield touches in his first game after breaking the finger. And those were both season high marks and handled. He has not, excuse me, Mitchell has not handled less than 72% of the 49ers backfield touches in the seven full games that he's played this year. So just absolutely dominant. The one concern I've had about the rent, or excuse me, the 49ers backfield is that they do not have a lot of high value touches go the way of the back, uh, the running backs. But I believe Mitchell had six receptions in this game, which is, if I mean, if he's getting the receiving work, then he is for sure a league winner. Speaking of league winner, league winning Lenny, Leonard Fournette led all running backs with 13 high value touches in week 12. This is the second game of the season with double-digit high-value touches. He now has at least eight high-value touches in each of his last three games. And is his 6.7 high-value touches per game average currently leads the league. So, sorry to Pat and the other Ronald Jones truthers, but Leonard Fournette is the bell cow in this backfield. Um, Kareem Hunt came back, he might have aggravated the injury that he had to his calf, but he played 23 snaps, had seven carries and ran 13 routes in the game. Nick Chubb was still the lead guy with 30 snaps and eight carries and 20 routes. Dearness Johnson only had six snaps, but did not, I believe only got one opportunity. So Chubb, I think is the steady guy here, we'll see what happens with Kareem Hunt. I believe they're entering their bye this week. So hopefully a chance for them to get fully healthy 
Um, Jamal Williams, unfortunately, DeAndre Swift may be injured. Williams played 63% of snaps, ran around on 54% of dropbacks, had five high-value touches, got six green zone touches in his first four games, so should be in a very high-value touch-friendly start this upcoming week. And again, the Lions are one of those teams that have, if not the most, one of the most high-value touches per game for their running backs. Saquon Barkley back to a workhorse role. He played 87% of snaps, ran ran a route on 73% of dropbacks. And then a final thing, as far as the Dolphins' backfield, Miles Gaskin was in on 50% of the snaps. Uh, Lindsey was at, he played 15 snaps, Ahmed at 13, and Laird at 12. So uh, the other thing that, that Daigle notes here is Gaskin's 50% share of running back touches was, was his lowest share without Malcolm Brown, but nine of Lindsey's 12 carries occurred once the Dolphins took a 27-10 lead. Miles Gaskin before this game was the king of not taking advantage of his opportunities and ended up finding the end zone twice in the one week I didn't play him in DFS, so that was a lot of fun to watch. But I think Gaskin is still clearly the lead guy here. Uh, Philip Lindsay potentially could be taking over for Ahmed and Laird, though. Okay, moving on to the wide receiver position on the x-axis here have weighted targets per outrun on the y-axis have air yards market share and then the size of a player's bubble is fantasy points over expectation the first group here talking about the 49ers the last four weeks they still have a negative 10 percent pass rate over expectation which is one of the concerns that i pointed out a couple weeks ago with Debo Samuel, I think, saying he was a sell high, obviously. I hope he didn't sell high uh, because he's been amazing. Might miss a week or two now, but he has been efficient, as efficient as anyone in the last four weeks. Since Kittle's been back, he's averaging almost 20 PPR points has a 19% target share, running around on 88% of dropbacks. But again, he's averaging 8.3 fantasy points over expectation, has one of the larger bubbles on the chart here. Someone that's starting to come back, though, is Mr. Brandon Ayuk, our cover boy for the show today. Over the last four weeks, averaging three targets per game, has two receiving touchdowns, has a 24% target share, 31% area share, 0.55 whopper, a 0.56 weighted targets per outrun, which is really good, and is averaging 11.5 expected points, which is actually the most among 49ers receivers. He's also running a route on 94% of dropbacks, has not been below 90% in each of the last four weeks. So it seems like he's out of the Kyle Shanahan doghouse, if you will. Has had a weighted targets per out run of over 0.6 in each of the last two weeks. Ayuk is averaging, <clears throat> excuse me, he's had 
the most air yards in the last two games on the team has had over 50 in the last two games. So really is coming on late, which is really, really good if you had been waiting for him. I mentioned that Debo Samuel may miss some time, and there was a report it sounds like Jawan Jennings will be the guy to step in for Samuel in his absence. But I I would rather just stick with Ayuk and Kittle at this point. Uh, Jennings has run a route on 62% of dropbacks his last three games, has a 9% target share, 11% air yard share. He does have a pair of receiving touchdowns as well, but I think this offense just gets a little bit more concentrated around its stars in Ayuk and Kittle. Obviously, the one thing I haven't mentioned with Samuel is that they started using him as a running back. He's gotten several carries in each of the last couple games. Brendan Ayuk actually had a carry of his own last week. So it'll be interesting to see if Ayuk does get a few more carries with Samuel out or if they just handed to Elijah Mitchell. Another, the other group, another group of uh, receivers that I'm going to talk about here is the Broncos wide receivers. And if you saw my tweet earlier, you know that Cortland Sutton is just not doing well right now. He was averaging 135 air yards per game in the first seven games has just 137 air yards total in the last four weeks combined. This obviously coincides with Jerry Judy returning Cortland Sutton over the last four weeks, only averaging three targets per game, an 11% target share, a 20% air yard share. And his ADOT is at 11.4 yards, which is, again, still solid. And no other receiver is averaging more than 50 air yards per game. So it's not like they're slinging it deep to others. The volume just is not there. And he's running a route on 90% of dropbacks still, which is higher than Judy, who's been at 80%. And just in line with their now wide receiver two, Tim Patrick, who's averaging just over four targets per game, has a 16% target share. But it is not pretty for Cortland Sutton. Doesn't have more than five targets in a game since week six. And is just struggling to get anything going at all. Um, Judy, on the other hand, is has played solid. He hasn't, he doesn't have a receiving touchdown yet. So the fantasy production hasn't been hasn't quite been there. He's averaging nine PPR points per game since returning but has a lower 7.8 yard average depth of target. But thanks to his 23% target share, again, he's, again, like I said, he's averaging six targets per game. He's averaging about 10 and a half expected points per game. So has some, has negative 1.5 fantasy points over expectation. So I think could be in for a bounce back eventually. Could be popping in some 
air yards by low models, if you will. But I mean, Sutton's getting about a third of the work that he was getting before Judy returned from injury. So it's I, you cannot trust, in my opinion, you cannot trust Cortland Sutton in the lineup until we see something change. And we're going to need to see a lot change for that to happen. And it, it's confusing because, again, they they gave Tim Patrick a big extension. They've given Sutton a big extension as well. So un, unsure what's going on there. Um, the Browns wide receivers they are are missing one of their or what used to be one of their primary pass catchers in Odell Beckham Jr. He's now been away from the team for four weeks now, including the game that he missed. And for a while I was saying that there's nobody on this team that not necessarily isn't worth rostering, but certainly is not worth starting. And I'm I'm changing my tune here with Jarvis Landry, who ran her out on 98% of dropbacks this past week, which is which was a season high. Also had 10 targets in the game, which was tied for the most, but no other receiver or player in the game against the Ravens on Sunday night had more than five targets in the game. So he has pretty much got that wide receiver one role locked down over the last four games without Beckham has a 25% target share averaging seven targets per game. It's actually averaging 62 and a half air yards per game and has an 8.9 average depth of target, which is I think a little higher than his typical, his typical average depth of target is averaging negative two fantasy points over expectation. So it could be again in, in line for a bigger week. One of these, one of these days has at least five targets in each of the last six games as well, and has over a hundred air yards in back-to-back weeks. So he's certainly getting a lot of work. Probably the one guy that Baker Mayfield trusts right now behind him. It's really only Donovan Peoples-Jones who has shown some explosivity, that's a word, uh, gets some deep shots, has at least 60 air yards in each of his last five games played, has a 15% target share, only averaging four targets per game, 4.3 targets per game since Beckham left, but is leading the team with 71 air yards per game over the last four weeks and is one is the only other player running around on more than 75 excuse me over 60 percent of dropbacks among wide receivers so would be the biggest beneficiary if other players were to uh, excuse me or if landry excuse me were to to go down a couple other final notes at the wide receiver position have Jalen Waddle. He had in week 12, a 0.95 whopper. And again, Tua had an absurdly low 3.7 average depth of target. And, and he likes to go underneath, which fits Jalen Waddle's routes 
and you can see him here on the chart just had a, a phenomenal day a real breakout game for the rookie another rookie that had a really good game was elijah moore he ran around on 96 percent of dropbacks had a 33 percent target share 0.85 whopper i think people were concerned about how he'd perform with zach wilson back under center but a, a an encouraging sign there and finally deshaun jackson had a season high 50 percent excuse me 56 percent routes run rate with a very strong 0.76 weighted targets per route run for the season so looks like he could potentially be taking over that deep threat role for the las vegas raiders Okay, you got the tight end position here and have two players that I want to talk through. The first of which is Rob Gronkowski, who has been back the last two weeks and has been playing phenomenal. Is back to a tight end one, actually probably a top five tight end at this point. But Dwayne McFarlane noted that Gronk is being targeted more than any other tight end in the NFL on a per route basis at 26% leads by 2% over Darren Waller over his last two games is averaging. He has uh, eight and 10 targets He's averaging nearly hundred receiving yards per game has a 22% target share is still only running around on 66% of dropbacks, but that's, that's enough. Again, when he's on the field, they are targeting him has a 29% air yard share, which actually leads the lead, uh, excuse me, leads the team over the last two weeks and is averaging 14 expected points per game, has gotten 16.2 PPR points per game. So again, his, now that I'm looking at it, his 81% routes per dropback rate in week 12 was a season high for him. So they have not been shy about putting him back into a top tier role. Had, like I said, had 10 targets in in the game against Indy. It was kind of a wonky game because no other player had more than five targets in that game and would expect that Evans and Godwin and Antonio Brown when he returns to take up some of those opportunities. But the fact that he's scoring so many PPR points without having caught a touchdown is just absurd and, and really, really good. Someone you can certainly trust in your lineups moving forward. Someone I'm a little bit more cautious on is Evan Ingram. In the last three games, has a 17% target share and is running a route on 94% of dropbacks, but is averaging fewer than five targets per game. Did have his second highest number of targets in the game at 6%, excuse me, six targets. This past week did run a route on 94% of dropbacks and has actually been above 90% in each of the last three games. So, so that's solid. I just, I wonder what this offense really is. Um, excuse me, Kadarius Tony was out this past week and Sterling Shepard hasn't 
been healthy either. So unsure how those guys will impact him when they return, but I think is a probably a low end tight end one, high end tight end two, given that again, over the last two weeks, he's now that I'm seeing it, the only player running around on more than 85% of dropbacks among receivers and tight ends for the Giants. Last note on a tight end, uh, Logan Thomas was back last night. There were reports early on, uh, before the game saying that they were going to ease him in, and they did. He only ran a route on 20, excuse me, 28 of the 41 Heineke dropbacks last night. He was like right around 100% of routes run before he got injured, but Good to see him back, especially with Ricky Seals-Jones out. Okay. Wrapping up the show here. Voice is getting a little sore, so might uh, might have to cut these a little short. And the first thing, uh, the first team here I'm going to talk through it's the Carolina Panthers. I'm guessing Cam is going to start again. He got pulled late in the game against the Dolphins this past week. He started and only completed five passes on 21 attempts, a 24% completion rate, which is just abysmal. And this is a week after he sort of looked like his old self, had a 78% completion percentage the week before. 8.5% CPOE, had thrown two touchdowns, 180 yards, excuse me, 189 yards, rushed it 10 times for 46 yards. Like he looked like his old self. And then he throws two picks, doesn't even hit 100 yards passing. Oi carries the ball three times for five yards and had a negative 42% CPOE, which is just terrible. Um, I, I don't know if I'd trust him as a starter, maybe maybe in DFS, especially now that, unfortunately, Christian McCaffrey is out for the year. The Panthers are entering their bye week, but I'm here to help decode which running back will be the most valuable rest of season on the Panthers. And my, my initial hypothesis is that it's Amir Abdullah because he had been getting some work while Christian McCaffrey was even back. Abdullah led the team with a 49% snap share this past week. Obviously, McCaffrey left the game. He did play, but he left the game early. And Abdullah had gotten 13 opportunities in week 10. He only had one in week 11, but then had eight in week 12. Had gotten 13 opportunities in the last game before McCaffrey returned, and again, Hubbard, Chuba Hubbard, the other guy to consider, hasn't been above a 21% snap share in each of the last four weeks, while Abdullah has been above 20% in three of the last four. So Hubbard, again, while McCaffrey was out to start, was getting double-digit opportunities, had at least 15 opportunities in each of the last 
excuse me, excuse me, he got in double digit 15 opportunities in the five games without McCaffrey. So there is a workhorse role to be had. It'll be interesting, interesting to see if they do split it a little bit more now without McCaffrey for the full season. As far as the receivers in the last three weeks without Sam Darnold, again, the good thing is that the only two relevant ones are Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. They're both running around on over 90% of dropbacks. No other receiver is running around on more than 50% of dropbacks. So they're the only two to consider. DJ Moore in this week 12 game had 151 air yards, which was his first time over 100 air yards since week seven, and in fact had 10 targets, which was also the first time since week seven that he's had 10 targets. So I think things are still looking good for DJ Moore. Obviously has not had the touchdown production, hasn't been super efficient from a fantasy perspective, but has over 14 PPR points in the last two weeks after three straight games below 10 PPR points. So really hope that I'm continuing to plug DJ Moore into lineups. Robbie Anderson, maybe save that for Leone and friends, but um, I don't know. Uh, Anderson over the last three games averaging 5.3 targets per game has an 18% target share. So without CMC, that could open opportunities for Anderson to make some more noise. The other team that I'm going to talk about here is the Chicago Bears. Uh, Justin Fields did not start any. Dalton started on Thanksgiving. I'm not sure who's going to start in the game this upcoming Sunday, but either way, I'm I'm still leaning away from him. The one thing that I think would entice me with Justin Fields is that in weeks five through nine, the five games before he got injured, he was averaging 46 rushing yards per game. So that's that's really good. Um, he was averaging, he had a 10.5 yard average depth of target in those games as well and was actually sort of slinging it. He was only one of two QBs, excuse me, with an average depth of target over 10 yards in that span. But Chicago still leaned very run heavy with a negative 5% pass rate over expectation, and that has greatly benefited David Montgomery, who has come back to, excuse me, um, who has come back to a workhorse role, has been above 84% of snaps the last three weeks that he's been back, is averaging, excuse me, 17 opportunities per game, has 85% of the Bears backfield touches and is running around on 64% of dropbacks, which is incredible. So David Montgomery plugged back into lineups, hopefully can get some easy matchups to take care of down the stretch. Looking at the pass catchers, finally, Darno Mooney looks like a wide receiver one. Like he is so fun to watch. Watching him on Thanksgiving just looks phenomenal. Sort of reminded me a little bit of Michael Gallup, but I hope gets a more expanded role 
than that. Over the last four weeks, he's averaging 130 air yards per game, is averaging 9.8 targets per game, has two receiving touchdowns, a 31% target share, 0.69 whoppers, running around a 90% of dropbacks, has over 17 PPR points in each of his last three games, and at least a dozen PPR points in five of his last six games. So just absolutely phenomenal. If you, he's one of the, I don't know if I'd consider him a league winner, but he is certainly bolstering those teams that drafted him late. Allen Robinson hasn't played each of the last two weeks, but again, I'm not, probably not starting him when he does return. The only other guy that I want to talk about in this passing attack is Cole Komet, who had 11 targets on Thanksgiving. That was a season high for him. He also ran around on 86% of dropbacks, which was his second highest mark of the season and has now scored at least 14 PPR points in two of the last three games. His, the one game he didn't, he had only two PPR points. So that's not super great. And Jimmy Cram is still involved, which is still just frustrating. Like, I don't know. It, just think about for a second the fact that Jimmy Graham has a no-trade clause. Um, like, that's <laughs> that's kind of bizarre. But anyway, getting back to Komet, has at least six targets in four of his last five games, which is really solid. And is starting to look like the breakout tight end that I think a lot of people expected. I don't, let's see here. Cole Komet has run a route on over 70% of dropbacks in five of the last six games here. So really coming on strong here. Looks like might be a favorite target of Justin Fields or, or Andy Dalton, whoever is behind center here. So good for him. Love to see that. Hopefully when Robinson returns, he does a little bit of something, but you never know. It's certainly been a, not a great season for him, but it's been a great season for us. It's been a great season for you. Thank you for tuning in. Remember to tune into the show tomorrow at 9.15 p.m. Eastern. I'll be back here same time next week. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube. Become a Ship Chasing member. And we'll see you next week.